0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inking Out Loud. I'm your host, as usual, Rob Santos, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us again today is his wife, Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming back, Lauren. And it's time to dive into book nine of The Wheel of Time, Winter's Heart. Drew, take it away, my man, with a recap.
2: All right, so we pick up... Right away in uh, Tarvalon, where the Black Aja hunters are questioning Talene after she refused to re-swear the Three Oaths and uh, basically figure out that she is Black Aja. And then we jump to Camelin where Elaine and Avienda become first sisters, officially, through the Aiel ceremony. Yeah, they do. And then we are <laughs> off to Perrin, Uh, where he has been staying up and out waiting for Fayil to return, and she does not. He nearly freezes to death. He's taken back to the camp to Barrelane's tent, where she kind of keeps him uh, to convalesce and also to imply slash spread rumors that Perrin may or may not have slept with her. And Perrin deals with the fallout of that while also trying to organize his thoughts and plan on how to find Fahil. And then we go back to Elaine in Camelin, where uh, she's, you know, arrived and she's sort of solidifying her power and laying the plans to make her bid for the throne during this kind of succession uncertainty in, in Andor. She is nearly assassinated after she's sort of drugged with tea and she is saved by, uh, uh, Melar slash David mm. Hanlon. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, oh. um, and we find out that there are other dark friends afoot, you know, Millie Skane and the black Ajah are all in Camelot and planning with David Hanlon, you know, to, yeah, to, to mess, mess things up there. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, Rand shows up. He is there to get Nynaeve and uh, uh, take her away from Elaine so that they can go cleanse the male half of the true power, uh, true source, excuse me. Um, Wow, that's a (laughs) very, very different thing. Um, uh, But before Rand can leave, Elaine bonds him. ...in a triple bonding with Avienda and Min... ...and then Elaine and Rand sleep together. Elaine gets pregnant. Uh, Meanwhile, back in Kyrien... ...Alana has been, like, knocked out... ...because of this new bond... ...that Rand has. And Kadswain is trying to sort of... ...rally the troops in Kyrien... ...where there's a lot of uncertainty... ...because Rand has disappeared... ...in the aftermath of the... ...Renegade Ashiman attack. And then we go to Ebudar... ...where Tuon arrives... And uh, Matt is hanging out with Aludra, and she gives him a riddle about Bell founders. Matt is then on his way back to the palace, attacked by the golem and saved by No'al, who decides to hang around. Matt returns to the palace. The dice stop when he meets Tuon, and he has no idea why. And Matt begins uh, planning his escape from Dar with uh, Satal Anand, and that's where we left off.
0: Yeah, yeah, lots, lots happening now. Uh, in book nine, a lot of really big things happening and the pace is actually picking up quite a bit, especially after Path of Daggers, at least for me, I know you had a lot to, to glow about in that book, Drew, but myself, (laughs) I kind of felt like it dragged a little bit, despite the fact that it was significantly shorter, but I want to dive right into the style discussion to start off with, because I'm really, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say, but I'm excited to say what I do want to say. And that first off is I want to ask how cool these epigraphs are getting at the beginnings of these books. Like, oh, yeah, this one just gave me chills. I love it. For winter's heart shall ride a black horse, and the name of it is death. Like, is it just me, or is this getting like downright biblical? Like, not just obviously in subject, that's clear, but like just in cadence and style, it's so badass. Yeah, yeah,
1: I love it. I I really
0: do. (laughs) He's got a knack for them, that's for sure. Um, and of course, with the context that we currently have going forward, it's just, oh, it's just all the much all the cooler
2: for it for sure um but Diamond, oh yeah knowing about morden right and, you right know, and how how that's a reference to him and uh yeah something that, and there's go ahead there's something in the like the tone of the beginning of this book with the snow storms everywhere you know mm-hmm. coming down and that makes this feel a lot darker just from the get-go it, it you know gloomier and and
0: colder like yeah literally but figuratively as well yeah yeah it's excellent um but going forward straight into the prologue i will say jordan almost lost me in this prologue like it's just so many and i bitched about this previously but these eyes to die names that i don't care about i didn't care still don't care just uh, i wrote down i just want to put a gun in my mouth at that point um mm. but <laughs> he saved it though by this incredible scene that followed, though, with Elaine and Avienda finally becoming first sisters. That was a powerful bit of writing. What's up?
1: What are you talking about? Like, Cain Pavard? Yeah, I love Cain. I didn't (laughs) care
0: for that at all. I was just like, I don't know. I was getting bored with it. Maybe it's because I was really tired at work, and I was kind of nodding off as I was listening to it. But it was, I don't know. I was kind of bored. I, I I really jumped on board once we got to the Elaine and Avienda scene where they actually finally adopted one another as first sisters. That's what really got the ball rolling for me. But I, go ahead. Back up your uh, excitement so about Cien and Co. we
1: We finally, finally get a handle on the Black Aja. Mm-hmm. And we have confirmation. And we have possibly, I mean, for the first read, you're like, ooh, we got him. We got him. She's going to know who the other members are and we're going to start to unravel this. You think? See, that's why it's exciting.
0: At this point, I feel like we already knew so many black sisters for who they were that it kind of lost its impact. Sorry. Uh, continue though. Uh, Drew, were you going to say something? there?
2: I mean, I, I enjoy it uh, for that kind of eyes that I in here. I enjoy seeing okay. the dynamics among right. the different sitters. Uh, I like Sienna a lot because she's just so genuine um, and I also like seeing one of the blackout jog get her comeuppance. I mean, Taline I mean, is having a bad day, you know. Finally! <laughs> well, yeah, it
0: With was, the
2: chair of remorse yeah. and like...
0: Oh, I keep forgetting about the chair of remorse. Yeah, that's true.
2: So, okay.
0: um... But, yeah. I still want to glow about the scene where where Elaine and Avienda adopted one another, though. As first sisters, like, that ceremony was awesome. It felt real. It felt heartfelt. You know, that fascinating use of the one power and knowing what we know now about what it inspires in lane, like in lane, listen to me in Elaine, uh, for later. It's just, I totally forgot this scene was coming and it was just so much more enjoyable for it. I thought it was incredible. I loved that scene.
1: Well, I love her getting pulled out. Right. (laughs) Unexpectedly. Like
2: being, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit ridiculous and it's at the worst time and they planned it, but Also, the fact that the Aiel have these kind of weaves that they have figured out for themselves. That, yeah, right. That nobody exactly. knew of previously. You know, that the tower, it's, it's not quite the same as the water bond. Not in any way. Well, ugh, that's well, debatable.
0: It definitely but, gave Elaine a lot of inspiration for that triple water bond later. Because I think during that scene, she actually mentioned uh, internally that... She had actually been given inspiration from this i l ceremony for that triple water bond,
1: yeah, yeah I mean,
0: uh
2: yes, that is correct at the end, yeah,
1: but I love how they they really are bonded together, like the character development between them,
2: yeah,
0: it was really great it was so cool the fact that the they were worst. like born together, that was like ah, that was kind of heartfelt, yeah. i mean
1: a little a little mm, awkward
0: (laughs) in some ways but i mean it has to be it It has to be (laughs) yeah i do i do i love how much they learned about one another in that scene and all the questions that they were asked the confessions they had for one another about what they envied in the other what they hated about the other like it was it was just i don't know it's it's Scenes like this that really gave me the appreciation for the Aiel way of life and the Aiel ceremony. I just love them as a people. They're so fascinating to read. And there's so much to be had out of just everything that they do. I love it. It's just really, really cool.
1: I agree. It makes me wonder, like, what else have we not seen out of them? Weaves-wise, right. you know? What else have they figured out?
0: That's a good point, That
1: I, You know, the Aes Sedai are just way too proud to yeah.
0: investigate. I mean, that's not even talking about dreamwalking. Right, exactly. like the Iael, wise ones are so much more advanced than the Aes Sedai in those areas too. And then, of course, we see uh, the Aes Sedai, uh hubris in the the windfinders and the the sea folk, and exactly what like the the sea folk, like the athan mir channelers, can do themselves with working with weather and stuff like that. It's like a it's a big recurring theme, of mm-hmm. course, throughout the Wheel of Time series, like the ignorance of the Aes Sedai and how how highly they hold themselves, and kind of teaching them a little bit of humility if, because they need it. But well, not I the feel like. Ones. Pride
1: is the downfall is is a theme of so many characters in this book.
0: Mm -hmm. You know? Speaking of characters, should we dive into our character discussion? Do we have anything to say about this incredible prologue?
2: Uh, I have one more thing to say about the prologue. Take it away, dude.
0: Hi, Andral. Oh, yes. And this is something I did not expect to come. I thought, honestly, and I don't know why I thought this. It's a confession I have, of course. Um, I, th- I forgot Andral already existed. I thought Andral was a Sanderson creation.
2: Yep. He was, uh, as I understand it, Brandon basically told Harriet, like, look, I need to make a character to make this whole Black Tower thing work. Right. And she told him to pick an Ashaman yeah. who had already you know, been written in and he was, run he was with mentioned
0: them. by last name i think only right yes. he was uh, mentioned he's, as genhold it,
2: uh yeah uh or no i thought it was just andral
0: he was, i definitely heard genhold i definitely heard you that. heard
2: genhold oh uh, maybe maybe you're right um, but it been, i know might it was, have been
0: mentioned by first name somewhere else before that and i just didn't hear it or pick up on it
2: you 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 might be right it's been a couple of weeks since i read the prolog oh, sir sure. uh but <coughs> excuse me uh, but yeah, I, it, this is the first time he was mentioned, and I think the only time he's mentioned until, uh, Towers of you know, Brandon takes over.
0: I think Towers of Midnight. It wasn't Gathering Storm that he was mentioned first, right?
2: Uh, I don't think he was in Gathering Storm. Right,
0: yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I, st- I'm, I'm, I have a lot to say about our characters here, definitely. I'm ready to dive into those unless we have anything else before we do so.
2: No, let's, uh, let's dive into Perrin, because this is... Ooh, okay. Um, I mean, it's where the book really starts, and I think this is the portion of this book that uh, readers have the hardest time with. Yeah. When you see people complaining about how Wintersart is slow online, it's usually complaining about the Perrin and Fail storylines. Okay, okay. Um, and, and while I won't... I can't really say it's slow in this... Part of this book, uh, it is annoying because so much of Perrin's chapters in this is him being ineffective and him being, you know, robbed of agency. He can't do anything. He feels so helpless losing Fail and then watching these rumors abound about, you know, Bear Lane where like it's frustrating for Perrin and it's frustrating for us to be in Perrin's head because of that.
0: I'm, you know? Like okay actually before I continue with what I'm going to say because I'm going to do some bitching about it I still want to hear what Lauren thinks Lauren Perrin the beginning of this book
1: I mean it is frustrating but I definitely see where Robert Jordan was using this as character development time so some of it has got to be necessary uh, even though it's frustrating and and I think it's meant to be in a way but maybe it goes on a little long
0: okay okay um So for my parent point here, I wrote, oh boy, where do I begin? Um, I'll admit that when I was planning to look for an appropriate beer for the podcast today, I was really hoping I was going to be able to find something along the lines of whiny bitch or something. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I wasn't actually able to make it to the grocery store today. So I had to settle for whatever we had lying uh, on hand here in the house here more on that later during the final draft. But it's, I I do want to say it's for me still so, so hard to read Perrin already in this book. I mean, nothing matters anymore. Like the world itself is dross. It's, it's, it's beyond frustrating. And you mentioned his, his loss of agency drew, um, yep. But I, 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 part of what frustrates the shit out of me is the fact that it seems to be willful loss or, like, willful uh, uh, relinquishing of agency because Fa'iel is taken and nothing matters to Perrin at all. And there's, like, there's this entire fiasco that's going on now with Barry Lane that you mentioned again. But I'm starting to think that the entire oh, Perrin is being unfaithful, like the rumor that gets... that plagues oh. him for the next three books... I honestly, I'm starting to think that was Jordan's attempt, perhaps, to just insert any reason he could for readers to maybe perhaps still sympathize with Perrin. I know, and th- and th- My basis for that, of course, for that criticism is just because I'm finding it so hard to find s- that sympathy. Perrin is so single-minded and careless. He's really like an animal, and, and not in any cool epic
2: fantasy way at the moment. He's, it's just tiresome to read. I mean, I I definitely don't think that was a mindset Robert Jordan had. I think Perrin has enough, like, sympathy for the fact that he just, like, had his wife kidnapped, you know?
0: Yeah, but, I don't know. It, it's so, like, Fahil, for example, she takes charge right away. She's immediately working, like, I don't know. Fahil, at this point, and when we get into talking about Fael, perhaps we go there next, because I have a few points to talk about with Fahil, and a lot of well, it is good, but... Sorry, go ahead. I wasn't finished with Perrin yet, but I want to hear what you gotta say.
2: Well, so you're to your point there, where you say Fail immediately takes charge, that is to the point of Perrin's like conflict right now. It's it's his inability to be an effective leader. And this is what he's gonna be struggling with for like this arc mm. of the series. You know, and so of course Robert Jordan's gonna write his separated wife as a foil where Fail comes from royalty. She comes from this uh, you know mentality of uh you know kind of rulership and Perrin meanwhile comes from like he's an apprentice like that that is I think something people gloss over so much is that Perrin's like single identifying characteristic at the beginning of this series as far as role in society is an apprentice. He serves, he learns you know and by the end of it he has to be the ruler he has to be the lord he has to be the leader and that is a a big mentality for him to break so much of him is used to sitting back taking things slowly absorbing information and doing so from a passive subservient perspective that he has to become active and you know assertive and that's hard for him. That's against his personality. But going against, like, for example,
0: how Rand took to suddenly being granted leadership, and especially in much higher and more dramatic roles, you know, I think Rand handled it a lot better. He still wasn't perfect by no means, by no stretch. But of Rand wasn't an apprentice. Perhaps. I don't know. The fact that, I guess, maybe maybe drawing uh, juxtaposition forward with the kind of competent leader that I know Perrin becomes that could be making it a little more frustrating for me at the moment because it kind of just it it kind of feels out of character I mean no I shouldn't say it feels out of character he's always been 100% dedicated to Fayil but I just it's something about how he has that huge glaring easy obvious weak spot that stalls him for so long it's still frustrating for me to read because I just I don't know it, it's just frustrating
2: I don't well, yeah. Know how I, else to explain it, I don't think I don't think that's a a problem. I think it's supposed to be frustrating to the reader because it's frustrating to Perrin.
0: Yeah, and maybe if it was only frustrating for like one book, that would have been forgivable or easier to digest. But
2: so, well, here's here's like the next step of my points on Perrin is that while I think there's an understandable frustration with Perrin in this book, I think it's totally unjustified how people extrapolate that to the entire book. Perrin is oh, no, only in sure. five chapters. Yeah. He's in five out of thirty-five chapters. Oh hell he's yeah. Barely in Winter's Heart. Like
0: uh, agreed 100 percent That does not yeah. drag the book as a whole for me <laughs> at all in any way. It's just Perrin.
2: Yeah. Like and, and not only that, but he's in like five of the first six chapters, and then we don't see him for the next thirty chapters. Mm-hmm. Like this book is so much more than the plot line of death. And, and it frustrates me when I see people complaining about Winter's Heart because of the Perrin and Fidel storylines. I'm like, you realize that's, what, like 15% of this book is spent on them? There's yeah. 85% that's spent on way better things.
0: When someone says that, it seems to me like they're sweeping under the rug a whole lot of really huge, momentous, kind of pivotal things for the Wheel of Time that are happening in rapid succession, and even in the first half of this book. I mean, you should yeah. see my miscellaneous thoughts that I'm going to get to. Here. I have like ten or twelve points, big things to point out. That it's like, bam! I'm so glad I'm seeing this at the moment.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fun. You know, there, there's so, sure. there's so much yeah. in the first half of this book, where once again we're continuing that thread, and maybe this goes back to the style points a bit, of, uh, getting points of view from dark friends from the shadow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where
2: we can see our heroes working toward their goals and stumbling. And then Robert Jordan sort of peels back the veil and lets us see maybe a little bit of why they're failing toward their goals because the forces of the shadow are working actively behind the scenes, you know, sort of lurking in the shadows and, uh, and messing with them and messing with their plans. And, you know, and especially in this section where, where we see how many different parties of of uh dark friends and forsaken spying on you know the machinations yeah. of uh you know we we have demand dread we yeah, have
0: Teleronria even
2: yeah uh, so, like, so uh falion many. and and asni and we have millie skein and david hanlon and moradin and like you know so many different entities not all necessarily working together but all working against the heroes yeah for sure
0: um, are we wrapped up on Perrin? Uh, is there anything we, that we want to say about Perrin? Lauren, do you have anything to add, perhaps?
1: I mean, I was just going to ask if you wanted to get Fael out of the way. That's where
0: I was going to go, go right next Perrin. after this. Since we're already on Perrin. You're thinking exactly like I am. Fael, Sound good?
1: <sighs> I mean... So, she takes charge right away in the camps. Right. And she really pulls everybody together. Right. <laughs> But she's still a child. She's still Fayil. Really? What, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I actually... Really, I kind of enjoyed reading Fayil here. And, and it might be my first time saying that ever. Um, I hadn't really before noticed how funny her narrative voice can be. Particularly when she's in a bad mood. Um, I will say Jordan made me laugh outright a few times, uh, in, in this first scene of hers, despite, obviously, the, like, the dark nature of what's happening. Like, Fa'iel recognizes what's happening, and despite her greatest efforts, you know, actually hoping that Bear Lane escaped, which, you know, just so Perrin could learn about Masima and the Shanchan, chan of course, and then hoping that she, you know, perhaps fell into a hole and broke her neck afterward or something like that. I thought that was funny, you know? Uh... We had the image of Magden, you know, biting one of the Shido and hanging on like a boarhound to these yeah, Jordan's yeah. words. That was that was a little amusing. Like even on a word by word basis, growling around her mouth full of Iel, Like, okay, it's <laughs> it's undoubtedly very dark what's happening to these women, but through Fail's like temper and her spirits and her narrative voice, it's no wonder that she's actually kind of indirectly able to get them through this like i've really liked fayil so far in this part but I, I also have to stop and take a step back and wonder if it isn't because perhaps that she isn't in parents presence to make things a living hell for him
1: well right. okay so the the Meg didn't point go for it do you see do you see elaine in that
0: yeah oh uh, well <laughs> the biting no i don't i, I don't i can't see she elaine would biting somebody but I, I see lots of Elaine and Morgays in other parts. I mentioned it previously in The Path of Daggers when she was pouring some tea and she spilled it and then she cursed to herself. And I thought, that's right. Like mother, late like daughter, she's cursing. She's actually got a foul mouth side or at least a fascination for it. But as far uh-huh. as the biting, I don't know. I've, have we ever seen Elaine do anything like that?
2: I could see it. I mean, I don't I don't recall if it was offhand if she does something exactly like that in series but I could see her doing that
0: I mean of the three I could see oh maybe kind of see Min doing that more but yeah it's not completely out of her character I don't think
2: yeah but as far as Fahil goes I like you Rob I kind of like her in in these chapters yeah these two chapters that she has Um, but again you know it's going back to my point about agency with Perrin uh, Fahil has also been robbed of her agency in this but what makes her a little more likable in these chapters is how she never stops to like really complain or or like get down on herself about it she's scheming like from the get go she's like I've lost my agency how can I get it back what can I do Whereas Perrin feels way too passive in his chapters, Fahil is is active, even if that activity is just internally. Yeah, she's active, you know?
0: she's decisive. Like, that's kind of how I think, why I like her, to, maybe to, to fill that void that I think Perrin is is presenting here when he's just being so, pardon the expression, but limp dick about everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Faella, it counters that very nicely. Perhaps that's why I'm enjoying her a lot more than I am Perrin at this point, when it was so completely reversed, for example, in The Shadow Rise.
1: Okay, big course, question, the though, here. From
0: her Shadow Go ahead, sorry.
1: So, how do you see the point of this whole plotline with her being kidnapped in the grand scheme of things how vital do you see this uh
0: for anybody listening that's also heard our path of daggers episodes i i just said like i this is something i hope for example that they that they do excise completely from the wheel of time show for example like i think the wheel of time show could do completely without this entire plot line it would just be a waste um it's really ultimately to me forgettable it's not Completely irredeemable, but it's it is forgettable and as a result it could be cut. So I, I'm not a huge fan of it.
1: Okay, what do you think he was trying to do here, both of you?
0: Stall, Perrin. Like for what
1: books.
2: Robert Jordan? Just
1: Stall? I mean, that's
2: no. I, <laughs> I I think, you know, what I said earlier. He was trying to build Perrin and Fail as foils. Um he, with a focus on Perrin's Personal character arc: What Perrin needed to learn and needed to do to become the leader. The light needs him to be. Uh, could I he think, do that
1: without this?
2: Yeah, like I. Like, I, I mean, I. He, yeah, he could have done it without it, but I think he wanted to make a point by having Fail be a so counterbalance to him and might. and showing how Fail with fewer resources and less opportunity by being more assertive and more like active in exercising her agency, almost effectively executes her own escape before Perrin with an army and with channelers can rescue her because he's dragging his feet so much and he's spending so much time worrying about everybody else's opinion of him Rather than just taking the reins so, and going about it in an effective manner.
0: You're, so you're arguing that, that that this is exactly what it taught Perrin. It taught him to stop dragging his feet. Like, that's what he took away from this experience. Um,
2: yeah. But,
0: well. Yeah. I guess. And we'll get into that just, more in so uh, Crossroads of
2: Twilight and Knife of Dreams. But yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's, I guess, my main gripe is just how long that it took for him to, to overcome this. I, I suppose. that's really my main, my main concern. It's it's going to be for the rest of this book. It's going to be for the rest of Crossroads of Twilight, even though it's... it's it's. it's,
2: it's so like here's, here's again, my, my kind of gripe kind of with like the way that's approached, where you're like, it's going to take to go. the rest of this book. There is no rest that's of this true. book that's true. for Perrin. I, but if you're the
0: kind of person, like, for example, I'm sure like. Jared, as a huge Perrin fan, was probably going through the second part of this book on his first reread and waiting to get back to Perrin. The fact that we weren't in Perrin's head doesn't really say that we weren't waiting for it, though. Like, it, that when you space it apart so much... Yeah, yeah.
2: Like, so this is, where, for this. this is where the criticism of Bloat in The Wheel of Time right. really comes in. Right. Because Perrin doesn't have a character arc for this book. Earlier in the series, Robert Jordan was really effective at establishing, like, arcs, multi-book arcs, as well as individual mm-hmm. book arcs for each of his major point-of-view characters. Okay. okay, When we get to about here... <laughs> we get to about Winter's Heart, suddenly we lose sight of these intra-book character arcs and it just becomes all about like a three-book arc with Elaine, with Perrin, you know, with Matt. Like, it's... The characters don't overcome conflicts for themselves internally in one book anymore. Rather, it's a, like, two to three book arc from Winter's Heart through Knife of Dreams and that's where I think the real bloat comes in and if, if I had to guess we're gonna see a lot of revision for the TV show
0: I hope Honestly, like I just said. It Where they're going
2: like, to try to turn Winter's Heart through Knife of Dreams into basically one season.
0: I, they could do it. I think they could do it without even having to try very hard.
2: <laughs> and, and maybe if Robert Jordan had, uh, you know, a little more time and less pressure on him. Right, right. Uh, he might have been able to step back from the draft of Winter's Heart and been like, Okay, I can write a longer book here and fit in everything I need to. Right,
0: I suppose. I mean, it's already pretty long, though. Winter's Heart is not a, not one of the. Uh, it is, books I in the
2: believe, series, is the it? second or third shortest uh, shortest in the series. Really?
0: Because my paperback is like one of the thick. I suppose the other we talked about how like there's a whole bunch of factors that go into mm-hmm. that. But I don't know. Looking at it, it actually looks like a rather large book. That's uh
2: No, it's. I mean, just going by page count, mm-hmm. uh, not including the glossary, this is a 766 page oh, book.
0: Jeez, I would have. When you compare
2: 100. that to, uh, yeah, like. I the world's over 800, you know, 4, 5 and 6 are all like yeah. 980 to 1000. Yeah, they're this is one of the shorter books in the series. Yeah. Um so everything
0: uh about Fayil out of the way that we want to mention?
2: Uh I have one more thing. It's sort of tangential to yes. her. Oh, tangential. I, I don't I like Roland. Oh, okay. Oh
0: well, yeah, Roland. And
2: the- I I just like I can, I I'm can't baffled by the love for him in the fandom. I'm not. like the, I like Roland. You do. Why do you like Roland? Because he could be
0: so much worse. And I know that's not a, a, a glowing <laughs> recommendation for his character. It doesn't mean he's any better. Just the fact that he could be worse. But honestly, like... like a lot of other characters I think that we could name, in, even in this series, especially in other series... This would have turned out so much worse for Fayel. Like I, honestly, Roland is—he kind of offered some loose, twisted measure of protection. Um, he wasn't—he—he he, was—he was, I guess, barely respectful.
2: Yeah, barely, I that, barely <laughs>
0: respectful. But I—I just—I don't know. It—it it, it might be a stupid thing to say, but I'm gonna stick by it and say that it could have been—that like, he could have been so much worse and he did kind of show a little bit of the honor of an aayil in what he was doing despite the fact that he was brotherless he was muradin or whatever however it's pronounced
2: right like i i have see i have trouble oh with that because he doesn't show the respect of guy shine okay because Gai-Shine, he's perhaps? so willing to take advantage of fayil's like helpless position you know
0: but what do you mean by take take advantage though because he's not like he
2: tries to manipulate no he's not but he's super passive aggressive about it right he's super manipulative agreed like like he recognizes the the plight she's in and takes like this sort of creepy long-term approach to manipulate her circumstances into getting what he wants namely sex out of her and yeah and that rubs me like the wrong way
0: I I, I do want to reaffirm that I, I I I don't want to claim that it makes him a good person by any stretch of the of the word, but compared to the Shido around him and like the, we have the nasty characters like Savannah, you know, as far as the Shido go, like he is one of the best we ever see. So, I, I don't, yeah, again, not to excuse speaking, him, but, but
1: he's, he's not a Shido. Shido
2: well, but he's with no. the Shido. He's with the Shido. Yeah, because he's a brotherless. Okay, a whatever.
1: Brotherless. That doesn't yes. make he's not a Shido. Is it was he Anyways, not originally
2: a Shido?
0: Do we know what?
1: No,
2: plan? no. That's what the brotherless Except. are.
0: Remember?
1: The brotherless are not Shido. Well, yeah, they, they have are... none.
0: But like, where did he? Oh, I guess it doesn't really matter where he originated from. Ooh,
2: does it say? I.
1: I think it does.
2: I yeah, I feel like it does too. I, I don't type remember. Right
0: now, Roland.
1: But, I was gonna say he's not excused. Um, you Mira know, did for did not have joined the
2: Shido
0: Aiel. Let's see here. Yeah, no, that's all it says.
2: So it doesn't say what his clan was originally? He no, may, he may just tell byil I am brotherless. I am Meradin.
0: Uh, um, Affiliation, clan, unknown clan, sept, unknown sept, society, Meradin. Yeah.
2: Okay, alright. Uh, but yeah, it's... Like, I can understand your point there, where, like, relatively speaking, he's better. But at the same time, like... Relatively speaking, a Trolloc is better than a Merdral. Right. You know? Yeah, No,
0: but oh, you can't compare Roland to a Trolloc, though. He's, like, that's unfair, I think. he's.
2: So... I'm just saying, like, relatively speaking, a, like, passive, passively manipulative sexual predator right. is better stance. than an outright rapist, like, violent rapist, but they're still really awful people
1: no no i don't think that was his motive though
2: oh i do
0: what no to get laid oh he absolutely wanted to get fights. i think, in it, fight I don't think it was honestly but
1: i he, don't think he was gonna manipulate her into that
0: he could have been so much more oh yeah he her. was
1: i think he was attracted to her and he made that very clear
0: maybe he wanted to, lay oh, her not to get her to lay her, as we these, see i don't know but like,
2: no no he was he was all like as we see in crossroads of twilight and knife of dreams like he's all about like trying to so
0: i want to ask this then could this perhaps be colored by fayil as such a young what is she 16 17 at this point uh unreliable narrator could this be perhaps what fayil is just interpreting and perhaps our view is colored by that coming through her lens perhaps
2: so because honestly I think what we're does gonna he, what enter- does he
0: do to make it seem like he just wants
2: Sex, as opposed to trying to roll. Oh, we'll roll the we'll get to that in in Crossroads of Twilight, okay. and Life of Dreams. Okay. But but I will say, to that point, to the unreliable narrator point. Okay. If we're going to interrogate the motivations of other people through that lens, we have to consider what kind of unreliable narrator we're looking at. Whether this is an unreliable narrator in the sense of, do we believe any anything they say or the people around them say are they reporting to us unreliable information or can we take dialogue at face value but the narrative and thoughts are filtered through their lens and and in that sense become unreliable like un uh, unbiased so like in the wheel of time I would argue strongly that it is the latter. We can trust the dialogue. The dialogue happened the way it's reported, but the way characters perceive the actions of others and interpret the actions and dialogue of others will be colored by their... Perception and their biases and their interpretations. So, but right?
0: then, that's my next question. What does then Roland file. outright say that gives you this impression, as opposed to just interpreting? We'll get things? to
2: that in Crossroads of Twilight okay. and Knife of Dreams, okay. because that doesn't happen okay. really in I, here.
0: I do love the way you've articulated that, though. I felt like I wanted to be writing that down. Sorry, Roland. You said you wanted to. Sorry. Go ahead. I'll let you guys. I'll step back. You guys both sound like you wanted to say something.
1: So, so yeah, I I definitely feel like. It's colored by her, because as a 16-year-old girl, she's enjoying a little bit of attention and maybe seeing more than he actually means.
2: So I'm not prepared to get into that part of it, because all of the really pertinent things about that are not in the section yeah, we just that's read what
0: he's, yeah. so in crosswords fine, of Twilight you fine. say there's things that he outright says that we can trust more than Fail's colorful view on the world things yes. that he actually okay. says dialogue wise that we could use to interpret a more sinister yeah. motive but himself. but okay, I will also okay. say
2: it has been that, perhaps? about seven years now since I read Crosswords of Twilight last mm. so I'm prepared to change my mind if sure. when I read that in a couple of weeks here I I don't get the same feeling from it if or if i see that faiyel is coloring his actions but if i remember correctly there are a few things he outright says that okay. were what I don't remember rubbed these me the wrong way
0: things but i also trust that you generally have a better memory for events in the wheel of time so i'm expecting that i'm going to hear something but if you not if not hey
2: but yeah like i just like wanted to make that point way. about <laughs> different types of unreliable narrators Right. You, know, th- you know, this is definitely good. a style point. Uh, that was definitely because, because any well-written book is going to have an unreliable narrator from a, at least any limited point of view book, if it's well-written, will have unreliable narrators to an extent. Okay. But when you get into certain types of books, when you get into uh, books that present themselves as, like, journals, for instance, The Black Company which is a retrospective like recorded journal by one of the main characters or the Book of the New Sun, which is a book written by the main character who claims to have a perfect memory and is King recording Killer or the Kingkiller Chronicle told by exactly Over a And so yeah. so when you get into a, a narrative like that, that is a completely different kind of unreliable narrator okay. from say Matt I accept that I accept that you know good point to and, and and so there are different there are different approaches you have to take if you're going to try to really you know parse and dig into a book from that perspective you have to be prepared to analyze it in different ways depending on what sort of narrator we're dealing with
0: you know i really was not prepared for this episode but i'm glad that we've managed to land there on i think we've done over 20 minutes indirectly on Fayil. I like oh, like, we're technically, still on Fahil, aren't we? We, we uh, are. Is there, is there anything else we have to say to wrap up her character before we move on to others?
2: No, I think that's that's everything I had, Lauren.
1: No, I was thinking Matt Cotha, since you just brought him up.
2: Uh, well, let's keep going. Uh, chronologically, and go to Elaine because okay. we. I think this is going to be a a big bulk of the episode.
0: Sure. <laughs> okay. Um,
2: Rob, kick us off.
0: Okay, so Elaine vexed me a little bit in this part. Um. There were some really, really cool things happening for her, namely like returning to Camlin at last, and finally adopting Avienda. As I've, I've mentioned a few times already, bonding Rand with the others. Some parts, though, kind of dragged for me, and I'm referring mostly to the beginning of Chapter Seven. I think it was the streets of Camlin, the roads of Camelin. Oh, stre- the street.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The streets of Camelin.
0: Yeah. The cha- I and I, I stopped to write when I was at work. Uh, chapter Seven has to be. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, has to be one of the most boring chapters in the history of publishing. Somewhere in the endless descriptions of everyone around her, these intricate layers of politicking with 40 layers of subtlety, too many, you know, Elaine primly explaining things to those in her retinue and this vast array of concerns that she has that ultimately matter for all, it kind of took a lot out of it for me. And the reason I say that they mattered for all, to use my words, is because... Think realistically about what happens if Elaine fails to claim the throne. You know, Rand strides in, takes it back. You know, I honestly feel like I've had more engagement out of watching grass grow than out of what than I got out of this particular chapter. So that's how I'm going to start my point with Elaine. But I have more positive to say going forward. I'll let you guys uh, uh, take. Yeah. The okay.
1: Money. So, <laughs> so if Rand just takes it back, let me right? just say that changes the whole history of the the entire country you know because then it's given away
0: more than it already has and we i mean we just have a back different technically
1: well we have a different narrative with elaine taking control here and she makes that pretty clear she's like this is mine i'm doing this yeah but <laughs> she's this taking control of an uncontested
0: me. throw and is it really the same
2: thing Oh man, I wish yes. Lauren had had heard our last episode when we talked about this. Oh shoot. Yeah. <laughs> um like like Rob and I both understand the perspective of like why there is this pride in Andor <laughs> and especially among the noble women so. in the succession of queens and but at the same time it is so like Rand never ruled Andor. He never sat in that throne, and if we're going to make that point of, like, the narrative is broken, the narrative is changed, it's already been changed. Robin sat in that throne.
1: So, it doesn't (laughs) matter. It's what the common people perceive, and it's the narrative that they go on telling forward and how they see Andor that's more important, and I think Elaine sees that.
0: I suppose you could argue that during the, the reign of Ravin, Morghese was still like just a wall, like but she was also like it was hidden that she had disappeared. Like yes. the people yes. during that entire time still thought that Morghese sat on the throne, and she was just being reclusive. They still are operating under the assumption that no man has ever sat upon that throne, and Rand made it very clear publicly that he also was not sitting on that throne. I can I can see a little bit Elaine's argument there, but I just like, and I may, made this very clear in the last couple episodes I'm not sure which one it was but somewhere in the last two that Elaine was just making too big of a deal and especially Dylin. I didn't really like I like Dylin for the most part but she made a, such a huge gamble on the fact that Elaine was just going to you know tear down his banners and claim the throne yeah. not just publicly yep. accept um. the throne from him like Dylan would have thrown every way based on or thrown away everything I should say based on that little distinction I don't know Elaine, I, I feel like she takes that point a little too far. So kind of. I agree. I lose but, a little uh, bit of patience with her, but I still have more positive to say about her. But hey, go
1: hey, ahead, hey! I got go, I go got up. something to do moving forward. Yeah, go ahead. Just turn it, just turn it up on these chapters to like 1.8 to two speed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, perhaps, <laughs> but oh, I mean, oh, I then might it's miss something. It's so
1: much easier. Oh, it's fine. Just pay attention
0: harder. <laughs> also, anyway, I'm, I'm working really long work days, so this book has to last me like as long as it possibly can, or else I'm gonna be finished my reading for that week by Tuesday afternoon, and I have to go all the way till Sunday to do the episode. Sorry. Go ahead, Drew. You said anyway.
2: So I do disagree with you, Rob, on this okay. particular chapter. Go for it. I thought I figured you would from honestly. from a narrative perspective. This chapter was actually kind of genius mm. because what it did was. Uh, twofold. one, it establishes concrete stakes for the succession plotline going forward. We see the plight of the people in Camelot. We see how dire things are getting with you know the, the poor and the hungry in this city. We get news of a uh, military like a military situation and how much trouble Elaine is in from that perspective. We start hearing about uh, Nain and Alenia and how we have uh, political enemies of Elaine's who are now AWOL, who are wild cards. We get get the very clear message that Elaine has, somewhere out there, a very active and antagonistic political enemy in this succession. It's so easy going from the end of Path of Daggers into this book, assuming, oh, Elaine showed up. She's going to be the queen. Everybody's going to be happy she's back everything's gonna be good. Here, we find out in this chapter like four or five different things laid down as a foundation for her conflict her three book conflict you know, that's gonna carry us through. We have stakes established we have antagonists established we have a conflict that's starting to build, and we have Elaine who is trying her hardest to get a grasp on it, but struggling like Mm -hmm even though you say, like, oh, this is the most boring chapter ever, there is so much stuff <laughs> more built words. up in this chapter, like oh, but I... there are
0: so much descriptions of clothing, and so much descriptions of environment, and intricate politicking, <laughs> and all these little things that it's just like, yeah. th- some of these dialogue lines are like 800 words apart it's like oh my god get through the freaking scene already well, sorry they've,
1: they've got to lay the culture out you I know, know part but of that this, is
2: well we, this we is that know ultimately the really
0: doesn't really matter, matter because but if she loses like i said rand could just stroll in by himself if he wants and set everything straight not that he should but like ultimately for like the fate of the world which you're, you've been waiting for in eight, eight books nine books now it just kind of feels a little slow it does. I, I just, I don't know. You, like, Elaine, you know, this is, this is a multi-book uh, arc, as you mentioned, as you called it. I just, again, I found it a little slow. I did. I, I, I just yeah, am, I
2: find that very interesting. I'm getting more out of it than I did probably, as a teenager,
0: but still. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
2: this is probably my second favorite Elaine chapter in this book, after A Lily in Winter. Wow. So. <laughs> I
0: thought she had so many, Yeah. I mean, I loved the Lily and Winter and, like, the entire, the, the bonding. Everything was really awesome. Uh, yeah.
2: I, a, I love, 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 love the scene where Rand is, like, in Nynaeve <laughs> and Lan's apartments and he's, like, under, you know, the the illusion. Yes, yes. That, yeah, everything about, about that scene is hilarious. And, like, one. when Rand professes his love to all three of them and and Nynaeve's just, like, having a heart attack and Lan's just, like, huh. <laughs> he's suddenly very very, very interested in studying
0: the contents of his pipe
2: yeah yeah, yeah. like i am i am Hmm. the one I time we involved ever in seen, that
0: as far as i know Al will land openly shocked as he had in that one moment had pulled his pipe out of his mouth
2: and was just staring at rand
1: <laughs> i mean great. he's he's got like two or three of those oh in it's series, so good but... it's so good
2: and then the whole the whole bonding scene yeah. is excellent for several reasons uh you know it's a great character moment it's honestly very sweet but the uh how do i put it like there's like a vindication on elaine's part and this is coming from me where i i'm on the record as saying that i liked elaine and rand's romance in uh the shadow rising And this chapter is sort of the culmination of that. You know, it's. We get some thematic elements drawn full circle with Rand's relationships with his three different loves. Uh, Elaine is the third and final of them to sleep with Rand, and she gets pregnant here.
0: And since we're on the subject, as is obligatory for our character now, on the Inking Out Loud podcast, congrats, Elaine, on the sex.
2: Congrats on the sex. Yep.
1: (laughs) Jeez. I, I do have a point on that. Like So separating yourself from the book and and from the situation, how do you feel about Rand with three different women and sleeping with them premaritably? The
0: Much better premaritably. now that, <laughs>
1: premaritably
0: <laughs> Much better now that Drew has explained the 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 trope of the tripartite goddess, I believe is how you phrased it.
2: Yes, uh, yes, the. Yeah, I feel the, a little better about it mythical...
0: now. I, I mean, I, I'm a young man. I never had too much of a problem with it, but definitely now. I, like, I mean, I learned that bit from Drew. Yeah, yeah. if fascinated.
2: if I'm like looking at this in in a vacuum from my real world perspective, I mean, there's like I I am not on board with that kind of a thing. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but. Uh, but this is a fantasy book you know like this is this is something that robert jordan specifically built on tropes and legends and it makes sense to me especially as rob said you know when i went through college and, and learned about like some of the inspiring myths that went into the character development for rand and elaine avienda and men you know a it doesn't, like, bother me on a moral level or anything.
0: And I also want to uh, make it very clear that if this is no. like, reversed and it was, like, one woman with three husbands, I also wouldn't give it. Like, this, I, you know, depends yeah, what's done with it, it narratively.
1: It does have an effect on their relationships, obviously, and, and he can't put does his it? all into one. He can't put his all into one of them. You know.
2: With Rand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I I'm on record in, in our episodes so far of saying that like Min gets way more of her uh, uh, attention than Rand should be giving her. Like, well, I think that's just that, because I think she has far, and Avienda deserve a lot more. Far but...
0: lesser, duties. <laughs> like you know, Avienda is a wise what? one, and Elayne as an Aes Sedai and queen. So like, so I, so I will
1: Go I ahead. will say in this section we have two examples of pregnancy like the bonding and elaine getting pregnant and i i don't think he quite has the grasp of it
2: what who ran robert jordan oh robert Robert jordan Jordan. all right elucidate this
1: sorry (laughs) he does not quite understand it he puts like she has weird cravings, Elaine does. Oh, and, you mean with the
0: symptoms of pregnancy.
1: And everybody's Especially protective.
0: how it happens. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is no,
1: exactly well, how, this how, isn't how it happens. No, not how it happens. This
2: isn't anything that happens in Winter's heart.
1: Well, she gets pregnant here. And and we yes. have the scene of the bonding where they describe yes. being born.
2: Oh, uh, the, the twins. The the, tw- oh. or the, tw- uh, the first sisters.
1: We also uh, have elaine yeah. who's pregnant. Yeah. Right? Malaine's and she pops in and out. I'm just saying, like... He doesn't quite have habit.
0: I don't yeah, know if I I'm willing to, to, to really get on, on that because
2: so I know on. pregnancy it can vary greatly from woman to woman and Harriet was very involved in this process. Oh. So Yes, but, but he keeps to the children? stereotypes.
1: He doesn't... Ooh,
2: actually, Harriet does exactly. not have children. That's exactly. That's a good point. He
1: keeps to the stereotypes here. He doesn't go all the way through. I can very clearly mm, see... Mm, mm.
2: Actually, I think Harriet did have children okay this is like a totally (laughs) totally random um i i want to say harriet had a child from a previous husband google this is
1: random google's my friend oh
2: yeah this is super random but i think she was married before robert jordan
1: but yeah i just wanted to say it's lacking there so she was born harriet
2: stoney popham but her name now is Harriet McDougall Rigney. I think she was married twice. Um. Oh my gosh. I don't know where I heard this or how... Yet yeah, she married her first husband Ed, Ed McDougall in 1964 gave birth to her son in 1968 and left her husband two years later.
0: 68. So her husband would be so, 51? Or her her child would be 51. Husband.
2: Yes. Gotcha. So uh, yeah. So she she did give birth. She has a son. right.
1: Right. But Robert Jordan didn't experience the pregnancy with her, but and Drew I see it lacking. She was
2: editing. On yeah, but part. She, yeah, but I, she. Yeah. I gave. see
1: his <laughs> experience lacking, and I don't think she pushed him
0: on it. Okay.
2: I mean, I can't. I can't speak too much to that. I don't cool. know what the I actual can. process was. Yeah, but I.
0: I don't feel like I should have an opinion on this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I will let that stand though. If if uh, let it stand that Lauren has spoken. Uh, but, I have. Oh, sorry. But yeah,
1: I I just find it interesting, like how having three relationships really affects his relationship with each of them. And I wish it yeah. could have been more. In a lot of ways, if he didn't split his affections and time. Like Avienda is has to deal with the whole pregnancy and let me tell you like what a disaster Elaine. by herself
0: Elaine I said Elaine you said oh, I said here <laughs> no sorry
1: <laughs> did I yeah yeah okay well Elaine has to deal with the whole thing yes. by herself and all these rumors around and she can't tell anybody that it's Rand and they think it's
0: Doyle you know, Millar
1: the, the, oh I'm trying to find a, oh, an yeah. appropriate word for him.
2: I'm still going He's introduced
1: next. here. Okay, you want to start it? Well, no, oh.
2: I, I have a couple more things to talk about Elaine and this chapter in specific. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I'm going to leave one of them to the lore segment at the end. But uh, when I was talking about how this chapter brings things full circle with Elaine's romance with Rand in the Shadow Rising. Yeah, okay. I've, uh, you know, I talked at length on our first Shadow Rising episode about how much I love that hard hardhead scene.
0: Yes, you did. When
2: you know when ran and Aline kiss the first time and there's this like awkward like tender you know yeah it's adorable keeps and ran tries to make the flower with feathers. the the feathers and, and, and can't he do it And she like circle here she scoops up and here the next morning you know it, it, also kind of a hilarious uh point this goes back to what we talked about with uh ran and avienda where it's like sometime later two hours maybe three <laughs> Yeah. in this one she says yeah. she remembered her abandoned the night before and most of the day as yeah. well <laughs> I noticed that right away this time
0: around and I was like oh okay there I mean, reading that as a so, teenager I was like sure and, okay like yeah totally for sure mm.
2: this reminds me of uh, on watmania.com unfortunately defunct this was my first Wheel of Time fandom experience uh, they had a whole humor section and it one of the topics in that was Wheel of Time pickup lines. Oh, and one f- of my all-time favorites was for Rand, a pickup line for <laughs> Rand. It was, I have real staying power. I am he who comes with the dawn. Oh, Christ almighty. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs>
0: oh. Well, that's it. That's where we end the episode for today. How do I continue from there, having heard that now and unable to erase it from my memory? Why? Oh, uh, what
2: about the other? What the, the other Rand one? want to see my sword that is not a sword <laughs> <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> uh. or, or lands the land had a great one duty is heavier than a mountain and what a pair of mountains you've got <laughs> wow wow that's so against Aww. what i would say though oh dude there were some hilarious ones there was one it was like for mageddon it was like would you like to come into my parlor <laughs> and and like Ew! and all the all the Kyrianon Game of Houses ones were like, there's nothing happening in my bedroom. Nope, no need to go in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I need an adult. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, but but so this scene though, Elaine wakes up the next morning uh-huh. and she turns and looks and uh on the pillow beside her, when she woke, lay a golden lily in full bloom, the dew fresh on the lush petals. And that is the flower Rand made out of the feathers he had previously tried to turn into a flower. But and I love that. What full he circle. found those feathers? She kept them the whole time.
0: Yes. Yeah, but what? What did he just like find them in a drawer? He's like, oh, I knew she had these lying around. I figured he uh, I, just did it again.
2: No, 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 no. It, it it is definitely the same.
0: The same exact feathers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So.
0: I did and that's so that. sweet. I know that the thought was like so just heartwarming. I was like, oh, okay, that's why I root for these two.
2: Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing from that chapter, I I will save for the the lore segment okay, at the end, okay, which is cool. yeah. Um, but I think that leaves us to Matt, right?
0: Yep, Matt. Yep. I just want to say, welcome back, Matt. It's good to see you we again. We missed you. Yeah. It was really cool to see where Jordan chose to pick up again on his story, though. Like, immediately following the arrival of Tuan, and after she names herself the fateful daughter of the Nine Moons. Brilliant. Mm-hmm.
2: Brilliant. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm going to talk about something that may or may not be you know, divisive, but here we go. Brace yourselves. I don't like Tuan. And I hate that Matt ended up with her. For what appears why? to be the long run. Why? Okay, so we haven't had much of two on yet, but we've got more to comment. The reason I'm saying that, though, is because Aludra. Okay, that's why. It's because of Aludra. Aludra, she's witty. She's sassy. She's not s- too much so. She's clever. She's clearly passionate about her work. She doesn't mind flirting on occasion with a much younger man, even if, you know, by most of her attitude, she kind of thinks that she should know better. That that feels authentic, that feels human. It brings out this whole side of Matt that I find entertaining to read. And just she, knowing... Sorry, go ahead.
1: She doesn't care about him, though, in that
0: way. What What makes you think that? Like she's she was, not she's,
1: interested.
0: She's devastated, eventually.
1: No, she she wants, like, friends with benefits. And she's alright with that. She, it's fun. But she doesn't... That's not her end goal.
2: So, I think you both are... Right here. In Winter's Heart, Eludra definitely wants like a friends with benefits relationship. Oh, for sure. But I do think she eventually grows into uh an appreciation for Matt on a very different level. Yeah. yeah. Uh and and I I mean I'm with you, Rob. Like I like Eludra. Yeah. And I don't I don't hate Tuan.
0: I don't hate her either. I just don't find anything redeeming about her.
2: But I do wish we would maybe had a little more room to like see a relationship between Matt and Aludra. Yeah, because
0: knowing where the pattern is forcing Matt in the future, and yes, I'm going to stubbornly insist on using that term. It forced him in this instance. There's nothing (laughs) about his relationship with Tuan ever feels, to me, authentic or enjoyable. And it just breaks my heart on Aludra's behalf. I will back that up. It just breaks my heart on Aludra's behalf though. Like Aludra's my girl she really got okay. bent by the pattern here I think and see you know we see her devastated later we do I forget what part of which book it is but I remember a scene where Aludra is like seen crying and like trying to pretend like she hadn't been because of how this affects her like Matt's budding relationship with Tuon and as far as going into why I don't think that relationship with Tuon ever feels like authentic or enjoyable it's because she just constantly treats him like garbage. All the time. That's
1: what she's been taught to do.
0: But that doesn't excuse it at all. She's treating him like he's a dog constantly. And for some reason, Matt just, in in this one case, finds it not just acceptable, but desirable. I don't understand. She does
1: change. She does change.
0: A very little bit. A very little bit. As, As far as I know, the most she changes is where she finally admits at the end of a memory of light. Perhaps I will be willing to admit that it's good to see you. It's no, like,
1: I think that's all her saying things. I don't think it's like, her feelings or their relationship in private at all. A big part of a
0: relationship is saying things. I, I just... Tuan is so cold and so closed and she so has objectifying in, in everything that she does, the way she treats Matt. it's just It just feels so stale and I just don't like it. That's her culture. Yeah, I know. I, 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 totally, I totally agree with that. I just don't think it makes him a good match, though. That doesn't justify, like... Matt's, for some reason, how he's so fascinated with that. It just feels against his character and I I don't know, Matt, I feel like could do so much better with somebody who actually appreciates him a lot more. Like Aludra I think Eludra is a far better match for Matt than Tuan and I just think Tuan's status at the Daughter of the Nine Moons is like, somehow more important. I, it just I don't know. Bums me out, on her behalf. Sorry, I'm done oh, ranting. <laughs> don't no, ranting.
2: I, I feel like I fall. Follow- Pretty solidly between you two on this point, like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I fully understand where both of you are coming from, you know, and I, I just don't have as much of like an extreme opinion on either point, but I will definitely say that I wish we could have seen more of like the banter and the mm-hmm. relationship between Matt and Aludra, because it's fun when we get scenes with them. And perhaps She's. She's witty enough mm-hmm. to engage with Matt on a conversational level, like few other characters in the series are. Yeah, and maybe she has a similar sense of humor to Matt, which just like elevates it all. I don't know.
0: I'm, I might be taking a, a further step towards Drew, and, and ultimately Lawrence uh, uh, stance there in that. Like maybe, maybe Tuan wouldn't have been the worst case scenario. I might have been a little hard on that. If, if, if. Eludra had had more of a chance, or perhaps if she even got some closure. But it's just, oh, uh, Matt just up and dropped everything for Tuan, and it, it just, it felt, I felt bad for Eludra. I do kind of like her.
1: I don't think Eludra had room. I think she's all about vengeance, and I don't think she had room for a relationship. Oh, perhaps at the moment. Like that.
0: Perhaps the moment. You're,
1: sure, maybe she would have grown, but. I think she did where she where she is right now? No. No way. Uh-uh. She's not available for a relationship. Not like that. She's she's only available for You know, little distractions from her
0: vengeance. I don't know. She did give him the riddle about the Bell Founders. I mean, that was. Because it's fun and she's witty. It's fun, but it's also vital information, I think, that she's trusting him with. That's a big step for her. That, like, she's been very close mouthed about everything regarding the Illuminators up until this point.
2: Uh huh. Uh, But, well, so sort of. I think it's a natural progression for her because she, I mean, she clearly broke ties with the Illuminators when she was kicked out after Rand screwed her whole life up in Kyrian. Yeah. And then we see her, you know, getting saved by Matt, and she gives him the strikers. And she gives him fireworks. Yeah. And that is a pretty big step to take, <laughs> not only for an Illuminator, but for her, because those strikers are hers. Those are not Illuminator tech. Those are her tech. You know? And so this this scene represents the next step in their relationship where she's building trust with Matt and saying okay I've already given you the strikers you want the next big step here okay I'm not just gonna give that to you you need to earn it
0: mm. right I, I, to close off on aludra I just want to say that you know I putting aside the fact that I think she would have been a better match for Matt in the long run even but I'm, I'm still <laughs> willing to accept that. Matt and Tuan could have been a, a right thing as long as she had had some closure. I just feel bad for Lutra. That's all. I just feel bad for her. She was witty, entertaining, and I wish that we'd, you know, that she had at least gotten some closure on that whole Matt thing before he just fell ridiculously over Tuon. As a Tabir and two. I don't know.
1: I mean, I okay. like her. I'd give her more screen time. It'd be fun if they gave her more screen time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's everything I have to say about Matt,
2: though.
0: Uh, I think so.
2: Oh, well, I mean, we still have to talk about Noal. Oh, right? yes! Woo! Yes, yes. Because this is not the first time we've seen him, but the first time we've really met him. Hang on, we've seen him previously. Yes. We've seen him twice in before When where and this. how. We saw him in the Fires of Heaven in Grandal's Palace, and we saw him in uh, a Crown of Swords outside of... Jacob Carradine's little uh, yep, mansion in Yeah, that's when Evidar. they met. That's when who met? What?
1: Matt, Matt, and uh, Noel. They met outside in... of Jake's. No, himself. they
2: didn't meet there. They meet here. They
1: talk though, don't they? No,
2: Matt sees him lounging outside of Jake's. I don't Carradine's remember mansion. either of these encounters. I thought he said You're something blowing my mind. So okay. there's a scene in the Fires of Heaven when yeah, with Randall and, and Samuel. Yeah, Wallace? and Samuel's like it's from Samuel's point of view. And he's going he's seen... over... I think it's when they talk about the Shabon and the Shabote. Yeah, they're, they're
0: talking about the Sharons.
2: Yeah, and and he's looking around, and he's like, what is this, like, old, gnarly dude doing in here? He's, like, way out of place. And then uh, and then when Matt is chasing Lady Sheehan through Abu Dar, uh the White Plumes chapter in A Crown of Swords, yeah, yeah, yeah. and looking she goes around, to Jake and like... Carradine's Paris, and Matt has to, like, saunter on by, and he notes that there's, like, a white-haired dude lounging out front.
0: And we have words from Jordan and on both of these. That those are both J. uh Jake and Carradine. Those are both.
2: I yeah, Grindel put, no. put the compulsion on Noal. Graindall put the compulsion on Noal, and sent him to Ebudar. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow. I didn't realize he had been compelled. Sent him to Ebudar oh, yeah, yeah. for what? This is blowing my mind. Because you she know, was I'm working with for- Semel. Damn, dude. Damn, <laughs> these things I'm still finding out years and years later. It's it's. But crazy. so
2: he he had probably two different sets of compulsion put on him. He was definitely right. compelled by a Shamael. because he shows up. You know, we get the stories of him like showing up in the in studying Shang Tai way back in the day, and he's like out of his mind and like, you know, all of that.
0: Okay, Vaguely
2: remember that that guy. we get from loyal. Um, yeah, it, it's. No, Jane well, spoilers Jane Farstrider's been everywhere <laughs> That's
0: what, I already I already screwed that one up I made that spoiler already yeah yeah. Uh,
2: but yeah so but, but getting him like actively engaged with Matt in the scene this is when he's starting to throw off the compulsion and he's you know he's not acting as a dark friend anymore he's becoming himself again and this plays into how, like, we see him in the next couple books where he's, like, remembering things and he's struggling to remember things. And uh, I'll bring this up again, and I think it's Knife of Dreams. It's one of my favorite uh, excerpts from the Prophecies of the Dragon that Noel, like, he's, like, playing stones with two on or something. And then just out of nowhere, he's like, oh, I remembered it. And he, like, spouts off this prophecy. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I like seeing All show up here. I mean, anytime we get a golem attack, tons of fun. Right. Yes. And it's
0: like with, with Rand's kind of narrative slowing down a little bit, and and Perrin's narrative slowing down a little bit, getting this bit of action from Matt with a golem attack, perfectly done. I thought it was great.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
1: Do they have names? The, the Golem.
2: No. Oh, that's interesting. No. I considered okay. It. And I and how
1: do we know a whole lot about how they were created?
2: We All know we know is that Agnor created, created them. them yeah. yeah, but, you know, we made but like do we six have 6 or 7 else? or maybe
0: there's like 13 but like half were male, half were female or something.
2: There were 6 and it was 3 and 3. Yeah. Yeah. So um but but going on from there, I want to say like while yes, the tension there uh in that scene with the fight against the Golem is like a welcome kind of spike of action, that tunch- tension continues uh, in the following scene, when Matt gets back to the palace, and he goes to meet with Tuan, or or Thailand, and he meets yep. Tuan, and the dice stop, and Matt's like, yep. "What the heck?" Yep.
0: <laughs> the dice stop. Something that we've been waiting for a long time for. I don't know when these particular dice started, but I'm pretty sure it was midway through Path of Death. No, it wasn't in Path of Death. What am I saying? It was in Crown of Swords, right? No, they well they stop when he gets hit by the building uh, <laughs> i believe. Again after
2: that sure.
1: and then they start again where
2: uh, are you are you saying the first time the dice
0: stop not the first time like the, the, <laughs> like when do the dice that stop when he meets uh, i almost said thailand again two on two on start With those dice when did they start because the dice definitely stopped when he had the building dropped on him in building uh, i mean i
2: don't think we get like at a, a concrete at least I don't remember a concrete Maybe beginning. Maybe it just picks up and it
0: mentions that the dice had been Yeah, really like, yeah, yeah, perhaps.
2: I was gonna say because the first time the dice stop is like uh, when he walks into the Wandering Woman, right? Yeah, in book three. No. I th- didn't he have didn't he have dice
0: in his head when he was doing his whole uh, crazy gambling night in the Dragon Reborn? I guess it's kind of a tangent though.
2: I but, don't believe so. I think the dice as like the internal dice as a narrative device started in Lord of Chaos and they first stopped when he walked into the Wandering Woman in Ebudar and yeah, met Satala. It's starting to
0: sound sound more likely to me. Yeah. Uh
2: to our listeners, if if somebody has an a uh, concrete answer on that, let us know on Facebook when we make this post. Uh I might be wrong on that. If you have a you know, Sounds an instance right of the dice earlier in in the books uh let us know yep
0: uh anything but, else matt related
2: uh not really most of the matt stuff is is going to be discussed next episode because we're we're leaving off right right when things are getting real interesting with him <laughs> yep uh, should
0: we go on to rand yes cool okay um I will say that more and more, I'm enjoying these brief moments where we where we get to see Rand like honestly forced into humility in a fashion because of his own stubbornness. Especially, I love it. Like, <laughs> we saw a bit of it before with the maidens, and I think it was Lord of Chaos as they like pulled the sheet down over his head and he was like being led around blindly. Um, but seeing him masquerading as newly and trying to adopt like any semblance of modesty was just downright hilarious. Uh, from, from the way he forgets himself, like, immediately, like, by trying to walk alongside Reen Harfer instead of behind her, you know, to the manner in which all of our other yeah. characters are responding to this grotesque face that he's put on. It's just a chapter full of win yes. again and again.
2: I, I, I was just starting to flip through my book to go back to that scene, and then you brought that up. I've loved how he's forced to abandon the dragon reborn in camelin because he's like... Nope, I'm I'm this hyper ugly serving man. Yep. Like, I can't act normal and, and he's struggling to do it and everybody's like looking at him askance and Oh, it's so much fun. He's forced <laughs> to pretend
0: humility and he's so bad at it. I love that uh,
2: idea. Oh uh, yes, i what you looking at this
1: it. scene. I I really enjoy this scene. Yeah. And and it's really funny when especially when he leaves and the serving women are like, What? World.
2: Oh yeah, when he like <laughs>
1: like why like... Well, no, the guards? It's,
2: it was. The it's not women? when he leaves. It's when like he goes into her apartment and they shut the door. And then Avienda and Min and Brigida come out, and the guards women are like, "Are you like what?" And, and they're like, no, "No, no, no, don't go in there. Don't go in there." And they're like, <laughs> it's like "The oh, guards women like have look at each other like that. No way, you know." <laughs> well, he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great! <laughs> yeah. It's so. Oh my great. god! I didn't
0: stop to think that. Like everybody is assuming, of course, that that and <laughs> Millar is the father for children. But these two women in particular are probably this whole time for the next few books thinking, like, oh my god, it was probably that really, that's, really ugly ward. That's gonna be one ugly
2: face.
0: baby. <laughs> oh my goodness! Those those poor children. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't consider oh, that. Great. You know, it, like, to, to balance this whole scene or maybe just perhaps, to, you know, to achieve the opposite effect, we get some viewpoints from the Forsaken to balance what's happening here with Rand as, like, they discuss what to do uh-huh. about Rand's plan to cleanse Saideen. And, like, they decide that killing him might be more important than failing. That's intimidating. And I just want yeah. to say, what a buildup for what's coming. I don't have much... Or actually, I really don't have anything else to say about Rand at the moment going forward. Until we get to Part 2, I will have a lot more in Part 2. <laughs> what a build-up for what's coming, man. Oh, I can't wait.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Because Rand really only has a couple of scenes here where... um, You know, he's in Kyrian at the Academy looking at the new steam engine. Yep. The, the oh, car yeah. that the guy's making. <laughs> yes. uh. Yeah. Oh, the, I thought it was Land, a train. They're, fi- they're finally I mean, in the steam age. I love yeah. that. It's a train, right? Yeah, it's not on tracks though. It's a wagon. It's
0: the steam okay. wagon they call it, but it'll be on yeah. tracks
2: eventually. Um Uh but yeah, and then he just has these couple of scenes in Camelon. Uh are we done with characters? Do we want to get into just the very brief I was lore? Just gonna suggest that. Yeah. Okay. Uh Rob, do you have any questions in this sec- segment?
0: Um I, I'm not sure if I heard something correctly or not. I may, I may have been falling asleep as I was listening to the audiobook at this point. Are Flynn and Narishma on the list of traitors at the Black Tower?
2: They are. Why are uh, they on the
0: list of traitors?
2: Uh, Mazrum Taim put them on there. Why would uh, he dare to do that? Because he's trying to screw with Rand, basically. Uh, this and Rand was... just doesn't rise to the bait? Yeah, um... Rand is trying to, like, play such a layered game at this point. He doesn't want Taim to know anything about what he's doing. And at the same time, Taim kind of knows, like, these two guys are very strong, very talented, very dangerous to what I'm doing. So if I can get any excuse to, like, if some of my Ashaman come over them, they have a license to kill. You know? uh, it, It's... It's one of these like really layered games that starts happening in the next couple of books, where the lines of communication are getting crossed. People are trying to work at cross purposes, working past each other, don't quite understand what everybody's going after. Like it, it gets really convoluted. But yes, Flynn and Narishma were included on the traitors list.
0: Ah. Okay, okay, so I wasn't hallucinating when I heard that, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote down, it was cool to consider. Oh yeah, I just said that. That Randland's lands now officially in the Steam Age. Mervin's Steam Wagon, the Academy, is uh, yep. finally starting to uh, get rolling, if you'll pardon the expression I used there. Yeah. Um, I never stopped to consider the irony of the word Maradin for the Aiel Society, brotherless. Because after all, Coolidin's brother had a name that was very similar. He was Muradin. Yep, Muradin. Yep. Right. I don't know if I'm kind of reaching on that one, but it made me pause and think for a
2: second. Uh, I noticed the same thing.
0: Yeah, cool. Okay. Okay. I feel better yep. now. Um, oh, I I stopped to consider that. According to Perrin, his force only numbers around two thousand at this point. Like that, by the time he arrives at the field of Merilor, he's rocking a steady seventy thousand people. Like in his army alone, like he really picks up momentum after this, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean he only has a, like a couple hundred, was it five or six hundred of the winged guards, and then a few hundred, like six six hundred or so, uh Turibers yeah. longbowmen. Damn, and then he gets better. and then he gets a contingent, not a huge contingent, but some from uh Alejandre's uh and you mm. know yes. army. Um Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a huge army right now, but he does. I mean he gets a lot of white cloaks. And he picks up a lot of, you know, a lot more small folk, so to speak. But, yeah. But yeah.
0: Um, we meet, finally meet Olivia, who's a really, really cool character. Um, yep. I love that one of the only women we ever see on an order of magnitude above Nynaeve came from such an unexpected direction, like the and Damane. I thought that was a great yeah. move on
2: Jordan's part. Like, it I mean, think this about... Flavor like of, chaos, one of right? Like, go ahead. One of my favorite things with... Olivia is like so she's like hundreds of years old, yeah. Yeah, she's been a Damane in Shanchan. Like, imagine fighting against an army with Olivia on a collar. She has studied destructive Ugh. weaves
0: for hundreds of years with her strength, which is greater than Nynaeve,
2: yeah. And she's like a I think a two on the or a one. I'd she's have to double with, check. With, I think she's a one. I think she's tied with Lanfear, like in her She may state. be, yeah. Uh, I in fact, I think think you're right yeah. um because sharina um sharina Malloy. Yeah. yeah she is not i think she's a two even though the Ice said i are like talk about her like she may be as strong as it's possible to get
0: yeah. i'm like olivia certain. is a one a- yep yeah olivia is as strong as possible for a woman.
2: Yep. olivia lanfear and Semmeridge are a one Semirug and then is,
0: is, is at that same point
2: damn Yep. And then Sindane, Masana, Grandal, Sharina Meloy, and Talon, the Windfinder, are all two. So so Nynaeve comes in at a solid three then. And Nynaeve and Karigan Makonar are the only threes listed. Damn. And Karigan was the one of like the legendary Amerlins, you know, green I Sedai raised during the Trolloc Wars. Sweet. She helped like end the Trolloc Wars.
1: I love Olivia. Yeah. I'm just gonna say Yeah. Yes. Like
0: she's a cool. So baby.
1: she she can have her own arc too because she was captured at what, a 13, 14 year old?
0: Yeah, so very so young, 14, yeah. Something like that. That's very when young. her
1: in a way maturity stopped. She had to stop she didn't get to think for herself after that. Yep. So she's coming around to herself as like a 600-year-old <laughs> woman and yep. finally getting to Think for herself and have her own goals, and, uh, and she just I, loves it. I, it's really she's cool.
0: So clearly enjoying the ability, like just to flex in all directions, you know. That's yeah, yep, it's yep. It's pretty rewarding. And she's still
1: it. timid. She's still really timid, even though. Well, I, I'm I, sure she's aware. When it
0: comes to the she's really, That's really true. vicious. When it comes to them.
1: But she's she's aware that she's stronger than all of these Aes Sedai around yeah. her. Yeah. Even if they're more experienced in certain ways.
0: Yeah. I, I would it's love... just
1: a cool dynamic.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited to watch her fight the Forsaken coming up. Ah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, Olivia, Olivia. Okay. Um, anything else about Olivia? Uh, No. Uh, I think it's awesome that we briefly learned a little bit about the true power from Demandred's uh-huh. eyes watching uh, Moradin. I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. About how seductive yep. and destructive it is. <clears throat> that was awesome. Uh, Part of me, my throat's pretty dry. I'm gonna take a sip here.
2: So mm. while you're doing that, I'm gonna Go I'm gonna cover the one thing I had in my uh, lore. Oh yes. Kind of segment here. And I'm gonna read a little quote from Bergita. <laughs> okay. Usquay, Bergita mused, oh, rubbing yes. her jaw.
0: I should remember this. Is
2: that one. anything like brandy? Hmm. I think the girl is blushing. She really is prim most of the time, you know. A joke, you said? Suddenly she grinned and spread her arms expansively. Lead me to this usquay of yours, Avienda. I don't know about you two, but I intend to get drunk enough to, well, to take off my clothes and dance on the table, and not a hair drunker. Min did not understand that at all. Or why Avienda stared at Burgida and suddenly began laughing about it being a wonderful joke. This is our clue about what Elaine did in the I... last book with the Red Rod Tarantra.
0: I don't accept that at all. I think it's funny but to, to consider, but I don't think there's anywhere near enough evidence. Just because, I mean, Avienda's probably just trying to brush it off and realizing... Oh, okay. This is how I deflect her. Okay, I don't think that's Avienda confirming it in any way. No,
2: that is absolutely Avienda. What? Avienda yeah, I... would not laugh at that that way and say sure it's a wonderful would. joke. If except... she's trying to save her sister what, her what first is Ayel humor about? What is Ayel humor about? But this isn't about humor.
0: This is Avienda trying to save her first sister it's from. It's literally huge a shame. wonderful this joke. Nothing to do with humor. She's just acting, I think,
2: just to deflect. Avienda it. laughing uproariously is acting. Yes, if it's going to save her no, first sister no. from the shame of no. Brigette running No, her. She doesn't give her. a shit about No, that's not at She's all so what I is going on. Right that,
0: that going to go in there and shame her first sister. Of course. I think it's no. like I, I don't know. No, no, you could no no, be right. no, 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 no. You could be no, no, right, no, no. but I think you're reaching a little bit. I don't think that's a confirmation. <laughs> I am not at all reaching. I don't think that's what I'm I'm not at all reaching here. Hmm. Why? No. This is confirmed.
2: <laughs> uh I don't know if it's actually confirmed. I would have to look that up. But this is this is absolutely what uh a reference Robert Jordan wrote so think, in to what Elaine did.
0: Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's Avienda wouldn't
2: act. Avienda wouldn't wouldn't stare at her first and be like, "Ha ha ha!" Like she wouldn't act like that and then say it's a wonderful joke. Everything about yield humor is targeted at embarrassing other people.
0: Right, but this is a situation where she was doing everything in her humanly power to avoid embarrassing Elaine.
2: Yeah, but that's that's independent of her saying it's a wonderful joke. Mm, if she were all about that, she would act relieved here. It's
0: possible. Avienda not is not wrong.
2: subtle enough to, to play, play like off like a joke. A like, Avienda is not a subtle person.
0: No, this she's is, not. There's
2: nothing here. about this that is subtle. She's just laughing at a joke at Elaine's expense.
0: <laughs> oh, crazy! And it's, the it's fact that Bergida
2: pauses, that. when she pauses, because <laughs> she's like trying to... You know, she's. And she has this come into her head and be like, I'm going to make a jab at Elaine. And Avienda starts laughing about it. And she's like, wow, that's hilarious. So, yeah. Well, we, that's this, very mean, much what the Red Rod on is. If
0: there's anything about Elaine's uh, currently standing personality, I will say that backs you up. We, we do know that once she gets drunk, she does have a particularly salacious attitude. We've seen that before. Uh, yes, and, and although I, think I don't think she got. It's in the
2: Shadow Rising, the but I don't think she got drunk. I think she just acted. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting Turangrial. <laughs> Especially for somebody like Elaine, who has a talent with those and making them. I don't know. Yeah. That, 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 that was. The uh, I'm sure that would have been something anyway. to see.
2: <laughs> that was really my only lore thing on uh oh, I you know, actually have one on this segment,
0: thing, believe it or not. I was oh, about to say this is right. just, just what do we like a miscellaneous notice here, but this this kind of loosely works as a lore point. I thought it was really, really, really cool. Um when I noticed something in chapter thirteen that I hadn't noticed before. Sorrelia gives Varen a draft in her tea to help her sleep. huh. She also warns Varen against its potency, claiming that too strong of a brew will put you to to a sleep from which you won't wake wow I immediately picked up on that one I heard it this time but it was the first time I I did pick up on it and I I wanted to say what a masterfully subtle move there on either Jordan or Sanderson's part like 10 out of 10 chilling well
2: Well, it's
1: that is Robert Jordan
2: this comes back to play in the next segment of Winter's Heart
0: does it as well because we like obviously in, in Sanderson's trilogy and then in, in, in uh, the end of Gathering Storm, Varen uh, a cup of sleep, exact yeah, brewed yes. to uh, herself. So to sleep.
2: it is all Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan Robert wrote Jordan? that scene, he wrote that scene in the Gathering Storm. Okay, cool. And as you will see in the next segment of Winter's Heart, look for a scene when uh, Varon is making tea for Cad's Wayne.
0: Okay, oh, oh no, that sounds like it's gonna be dark. <laughs> oh no okay
2: yeah. all so. right all right um is
1: it in that mansion
2: yeah it's it's in formatting
0: okay oh okay okay
2: um two more little
0: little points here um not necessarily lore related but i wanted to say really deft move on the part of the Shanchan, offering to fly Thailand around altara like it kind of instills fear uh-huh. but it gives wonder as well but it also shows her how much there is to be gained by accepting their rule subserviently just it's a move that that may or may not have intimidated me a little bit as a teenager like the reminder that the shan chan are to be taken seriously despite their uh, couple of minor defeats at rand's hand well you really can't even call that last one a defeat really it was a stalemate they just don't know it oh i would
2: call that a defeat they and lost wasn't a
0: defeat though they yeah. lost but they they, don't they, know lost, they yes. lost
2: tens of thousands of soldiers to yeah, rand's that's... like rand only lost like a couple thousand it was a strategic defeat, for yeah, in sure. In terms of numbers, mm-hmm. but
0: they they yeah they retreated thinking that they, that they got defeated, but Rand yeah. also had to retreat because he didn't know that he had done that. Like, he just obliterated a huge portion of his own army.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but in terms, the terms of, like, still ratio,
0: <laughs> I think they, they had equal losses in terms
2: of percentage. In I terms ask. of percentage? Yeah. No. Was, no. No, not, not even No, close. not even close. Rand brought 6,000 troops in. Right. And they lost, lost maybe those, like, it? yeah, like two or three thousand of those, the, the Shanchan Shan- had had like dozens of camps completely wiped out before they brought that army of forty thousand in, and then lost most of those forty thousand as well,
0: God damn, ran with Rand
2: wrecked <laughs> them, <laughs> yeah, okay. well, the Ashaman yeah. like. <laughs> oh yeah so
0: and uh my last miscellaneous point here I wanted to to round off my thoughts for this episode I want to make sure we stop and acknowledge something that happened in between this episode and recording the last episode Drew but the wheel of time just turned 30 it did again to Mr. Jordan and a drink in his honor I hope 30 years from now I'm still reading and finding new things pour a little bit of this Mm.
2: yeah yeah that is quite a milestone
0: (sighs) Heck yes. That's everything I have to talk about for today, honestly.
2: Yeah. uh, I think that takes us into the final draft, right?
0: Anything else uh, that Lauren wants to get out of the way? No, no. We're good? I'm
2: ready. Rob, what are you drinking?
0: I got drunk on Captain Morgan's. Sorry. Uh That's just... That's what happened. (laughs) I I just wanted to get that out of the way, like pulling off a band-aid. I I didn't have time this week. It's been a hectic week with doctor's appointments and, and going back to work, but... I didn't have time to go to the superstore today. That's, sorry, the grocery store. It's just called the superstore up here. So I ended up having to, to find whatever <laughs> works around the house. I found some Captain Morgans. It wasn't the spice this time. It was the white rum. I don't like it as much as oh. the spiced, but it did the job. Yeah.
1: Did I mean, job. I was going to say that looked clear. It And did. also it the was... superstore. What? Sorry, the <laughs> the superstore? Yeah,
0: okay. So the grocery store, the bigger grocery store that we have in my hometown is called... Uh, Royal Canadian Superstore. It's like a chain that goes across the whole country. So when okay. I, when it, it's like synonymous with grocery store. In fact, it's said more often than grocery store up here. Just say, you go to the superstore. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's, that's your bit of Canadian trivia for the day.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. So Lauren and I are drinking the same thing. Oh, yep. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a big bottle. So it is an Imperial Stout from Adroit Theory.
0: Adroit Theory. (laughs) Okay. Uh,
2: Which is in Virginia. Adroit Theory Brewing Company. Um, This is an Imperial Stout, (whistles) 13.5%. Brewed with Mostra Coffee, Toasted Coconut, Toasted Marshmallow, and Saigon Cinnamon. Uh, Lauren, talk to me about what you think about this Oh my
0: god, Uh, that sounds like
2: nature in a cup.
1: This is nicely full-bodied. And, I mean, ours have warmed up, so very sweet, but balanced. I definitely get that coffee flavor. Oh, nice and
0: roasty. I am such a sucker for coconut. It's really good. I am such a sucker for coconut. You add some coffee and some marshmallow in there, and I'm, oh my goodness. 13.5%.
1: Yeah, you would have loved what we had last night. It was uh, Campfire Stout.
0: Yeah,
2: some more stuff. all. My marshmallow,
0: all
1: marshmallow. Oh my
2: goodness! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I am getting a lot of marshmallow and a lot of coconut out of this. Oh god, it's so good. But as you said, Lauren, it is pretty balanced. Like a lot of the time, in my experience, cinnamon stouts, like the cinnamon, can really just take over and dominate.
1: I don't like that.
2: Um, but yeah. that is not the case here. It, the cinnamon's present, but it's not. Overwhelming.
0: it is the
2: very thick. I mean, it, it it pours pours thick, and you know this this beer has been sitting in our refrigerator for a few months now, and like when I poured this, there, uh, like little chunks, like the lipids are even starting to come out of solution because there's just so much like, wow. yeah it it was this is an extravagant beer
1: you got to show them the label. Yeah. The well, I bottle. haven't said
2: the name yet. Oh, okay, oh yeah,
0: cool. yeah, don't ruin it. Uh, Come
2: on, now. But anyway, this I beer be is my now. ode to uh, what I uh, mentioned early on about all of these disparate elements of the shadow working behind the scenes, and it is called What Evil Lurks. Oh,
0: I like it. It's coy. Yeah, what look, at this, look at this label. Oh, yeah. it's... Damn, that's dark. It's hard to see, but it looks like... Is that a skull? Like a skull. It's, a, yeah, with, that? it's
2: like a skull, yeah. It's like a demon skull with like cobwebs it so, on it and stuff.
0: It looks so metal. I like
1: it. Yes. Very yes. metal. It looks like something that would be on the cover of a Black Company book.
2: Yeah, Ooh. yeah, I can see that. There you go, there you go. <laughs> nice. I will say, though, there. so on the label here, uh, there's a little description... But it's more of like a, I don't, know. Uh, I don't know. I'll just read it. It says slinking in the shadows of our barely acknowledged selves. There lives an elusive suggestion so complex yet so exquisitely simple as to create a soul stealing madness in any who look too closely. Seek too keenly. Skulking about awaiting the precise moment to ride up and be known to peel flesh from bone. So our flaws are exposed and we are set free. Madness comes with a price.
0: So I I stand by what I said before. It's it's very metal as beer, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh superfluous in a bottle. I have real problems with this because Uh there's so many like grammar errors in this. Uh, So they definitely mean they say elusive with an I, but they definitely mean elusive.
1: With an E. With an E. And then they have this
2: line a soul stealing madness in any who look too closely seek too keenly. Look too closely, as the two is spelled no. T-O-O, and seek too keenly is spelled T-O.
0: oh <laughs> so they're even uh, using the same context, but they're spelled there. Spell check And
2: messing up the twos, yeah. So I I can't give this full marks because of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
0: that's terrible. It could be the most delicious beer in the world, and I'd still wouldn't go higher than four uh, out of five.
2: Yeah, I have, to, I have to take issue there. Damn. But... Uh, <laughs> But the beer is delicious. I mean, it's quite good. That's I'm not pretty the brewer's fault.
1: It. That's the editor's fault. The marketing. The yeah, also marketing be able to department read their own for
0: sure. And know how to speak basic sixth grade mm. English. Oh yeah, but he probably
1: uh, didn't write that.
0: Yeah, the brewer I know, but he probably would that. notice it. She, if he, knew he or well, she how to speak the damn language. Mm-hmm. Not, so I don't mean if it's actually somebody who doesn't speak the language. I just mean like
2: I I would say I'm I'd be too, surprised like. if the brewer actually saw that copy.
0: Yep. Wow. Yep.
2: I am
1: going to speak from working at a brewery. He did not see that copy. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: Wow. laughs> imagine imagine finding that out. This is your beer you're looking at it and it's oh my goodness. Somebody's going to yeah. get fired today.
2: <laughs> oh I mean, man.
1: We had one um it's called Serious Black. Oh. Yes. Oh. yes that Serious and it's 6.66%. Yes, and uh, the brewer oh. actually did write the front for it, where he was like it was caged in a dark dark dungeon for six months. And I was like, yes! <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yes. Kudos for, for trying there. So proud of me. him. He had I, I mean, I'm not doing it justice. He had a whole front for it. but Nice.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, on, on that note, though, I think we're... About at the end. This has been episode 52 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. And uh, next up, we are a little bit up in the air because we have a crazy schedule coming up. It is either going to be Winter's Heart Part 2 where we'll finish the book. Or uh, it's going to be Solo Command by Aaron Alston. uh, The conclusion to the Race Squadron books that Lauren and I have been reading. Uh, Depending on our schedules... Uh, over the next week, because there's there's some craziness coming up. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, check us out on Patreon, Patreon.com/inkingoutloud. You know, if you support us there, that helps us pay for the services of our sound engineer and artist, as well as hosting our website and the uh, you know the episodes themselves. We've got a bunch of great uh, you know great bonuses that you can get access to there including some monthly short episodes and starting this year, uh, monthly short fiction. We just posted our first uh, short story, one that I wrote. I think next month it's going to be a Rob uh, Uh selection. So yeah, check that out. As always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Hey, everybody. And our special guest, Lauren McCaffrey.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Bye-bye.